Uh, today, the pulpit committee is happy to bring Jeff Self to you today and in view of a call. And um, we are praying that the Lord's will be done. Uh, we'll have the preaching this morning. We'll have a short question and answer, and we'll have lunch next door so you can get to know everybody a little bit better. Um, tonight, we'll come together at 6 o'clock, and Jeff will preach again. We'll have our special business meeting then, and uh, we will vote at that time. Um, the public enemy will count the votes after that, and then we'll see where the Lord leads. Um, our bylaw state to be able to vote, you must be a member of the church, 16 years of age. You cannot vote if you have missed eight or more Sunday morning services in 13 consecutive weeks. Um, if you are not able to come tonight, just get with me right after the service, and we'll have early voting, and you'll vote. We'll put it in an envelope, and then we'll open it up tonight. Um, whenever we count all the rest of the votes. So we're happy to bring Jeff to you today. Come on up, Jeff. It's strange being in a place that's unfamiliar, yet seems very familiar already. I've got to meet so many of y'all, and uh, to be honest with you, all I can think of is, Lord, don't let me fall getting up on the step over here, uh, because that did us off to a bad start. Uh, thank you for having me this morning and for you being here to, uh, I hope not hear me, but to hear from the Word of God this morning, to hear from the Scriptures. Uh, I'll be right up front with you. I didn't come here to win a job or to win you over. I came here to preach to you from the scriptures, from God's holy word, and it is my role as a pastor and as a preacher that no matter what pulpit I, I step behind, the only purpose in it is that God be glorified. Uh, and so uh, if you came here to hear one of those, here's what I'll do as your pastor and Here's what I expect from a congregation. Go ahead and go home because this ain't it. Uh, if you came here and have your ears tickled, you might want to go ahead and go because this ain't that either. Uh, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. If you want to turn to chapter 5, uh, we would appreciate that. We're going to begin in verse 16 in a moment. And I have to admit, it's kind of different for me. I normally preach through a book. I'm preaching through the book of John right now. And so just to have a segment without having gone through the background of it with you already is a little bit different for me, but I think we can all get there and understand what's being said. And what I will go ahead and let you know is kind of going on in this is uh, what, what you'll learn through the teachings of John is John had really one purpose in the telling of his gospel, and that is to prove beyond a doubt, especially to the Jews at that time, that Jesus was the Son of God, fully man and yet fully God all at the same time. Uh, and I'd like to say he did a good job of proving that, but 2,000 years later, we see why he was so intent on proving that they still don't believe it as a whole there are messianic jews today as there were in that day 
Jews and Gentiles being saved, but they would only come to belief as they saw and witnessed the miracles of Christ. We have that now in 66 books. We have the four Gospels written by our witnesses of those miracles, written and told in front of other eyewitnesses so that we can believe that. And it's so important that we today continue within the church believing that Jesus is the Son of God because if you believe that, your perception changes about everything else in the world. And sadly, we have many churches that are changing today to meet what the cultural and ideological teachings of the world are. They're saying, well, maybe this is, if, that, if you're going to start changing Scripture, you do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, fully man and fully God. You cannot change his word if that is your belief. So that's kind of where we're going to go this morning. Let's start. We're going to read uh, verses 16 through 20, and then we're going to just plow right into some of this. I hope that's okay. Uh, Therefore, and I'm reading a belief in the New King James Version. Sometimes I use the ESV. Let's go ahead and stand together. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God. He, excuse me, all things are of God who has reconciled him to him, reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, praise God, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Father, it is my prayer today to hide me behind the cross, speak to your people through your word, by your spirit. Lord, today, would you change the hearts and lives of every one of us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen, and you may be seated. What we're going to begin to look at is that understanding that we get to of having to believe and continue believing that Jesus was the Son of God, is the Son of God, is that that brings a huge change in perspective. Let's look at verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. The the Gnostics, the, the Jews of that day, back when John was writing so diligently that this is the Son of God, look what look what he's doing. He's 
you know, the cripple is being healed, the blind are being made to see, and yet they still weren't believing. They did not want this Christ. They did not want this king of the Jews. They wanted a king who was going to remove them from Roman authority. That's all they wanted. They they weren't interested in even the salvation of their sins. They wanted a king that was going to come in and set them free from the Roman authority. And when they figured out that Jesus wasn't that, they went quickly to the idea, well, if he's claiming to be God and he's made of flesh and blood, this is not God. This is not man fully God and fully uh, human at the same time. This this can't be. So they, they did not believe. And therefore, many of them died still lost. But when we believe, our our whole pattern, the way we think and see everything changes. So they saw Christ in flesh only. They only saw him as a man. They never saw him as God, and hence, therefore, the problem then, 2,000 years later, their problem still today. Now, how does that look like? What does that look like for us today? What does it mean that we no longer see things according to the flesh? Folks, we now, as believers, remember, we're talking to the Corinthian church, and, uh, funny story, I mean, you guys know the Corinthian church was not Paul's favorite. Uh, he had to write a couple letters that were pretty stern. And a lot of theologians believe this would actually be Third Corinthians, that he had written a first letter to the Corinthians that was so seething and so torching of the Corinthian culture, they actually burned that letter. Now, we don't have evidence of that, but there is a lot of thought because of the way First and Second Corinthians in our scripture is written. This was actually second and third. Um, and so uh, that may be the case. And you've probably seen a little meme on the internet that said, if, if Paul were to visit America today, he might write us a letter or two. He might have something to say to our culture. Uh, by the way, the first church I ever pastored, whoever named this church, because it was not in a town called Corinth, it was Shawnee, Georgia, and they named the church Corinth Baptist Church. I'm like, you got all these names to pick from. Okay, you want to go with something biblical? Corinth? Really? No, thank you. And thankfully, that wasn't a Corinth church like this. But I just thought, man, this is not a good place to be if you're in Paul's crosshairs, especially when he's reminding you of this teaching. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. What does that look like today? It is this idea that our biblical worldview is antiquated, outdated and must change along with today's culture. That as culture shifts, then we've got to change in the church along with that or we'll see a thinning of the herd. Nobody will want to be a part of our churches. Well, bless our hearts, we are getting smaller because we refuse to change the gospel 
to fit the community. So let me give you what that looks like. If you start changing little bits here and there, and there are some churches, even Southern Baptist churches, that are making some major adjustments. But let me give you a quick example to let you show where if you put this on a sliding scale, you build your your truth on a sand foundation, it, it gets away from you pretty quick. I want you to flash way back 50 years. I would not go that far. Let's go 40 years back. L- let's just go 20 years. Heck, let's go 10 years back. If you went 10 years back in time, and I said to you, let's, let's just go to 2000, okay, 23 years ago. If, if we got to Y2K and I looked at you and said, in 23 years, you won't be able to know where to go to the bathroom. You won't know if that's a boy or a girl because he hadn't decided. They haven't decided yet. We don't have to go back 23 years to have known that would have been considered absurd. Can you describe what a woman is? I'm not a biologist. Really? That's where we are now. That's when we don't have an absolute truth. We begin to see things as flesh sees them. We begin to believe what the world tells us is more important than what God's Word tells us. We, and there are churches that are adapting this. First Baptist Church, Orlando, Florida, is now not only baptizing homosexuals as believers, they're accepting them into membership as believers. And we know to walk and live in a lifestyle of sin, John would tell us in 1 John, that is, that, that is how we know those that are lost, how we know those that are saved is by their lifestyle, by the walk. Now, we all will sin, we all will have sin, but a believer, what's the word? Uh, repents. He walks a different way. He no longer walks according to the flesh. Today there are churches that are moving toward what flesh and blood ideology has said. If you don't do this, you, you, uh, we'll cancel you. Come on. You try the word of God being preached. The gates of hell will not come against it and stand against it. They will not prevail. This culture is defeated. This world has been won by Christ. Death has been overcome. And until we remember that and say, you know what, we are going to stand on the truth of God's word. And I'm hoping I'm I'm encouraging you today, church to know that there is evil out there and it is attacking within the church and unless the church, as Paul is reminding the church of Corinth, we don't see things the way flesh sees them. We no longer, because we are saved, born and bought by the precious blood of Christ who died on the cross for our sin. He became sin for us. Unless we keep our heart and our mind around that, we're going to see churches continue to change 
with the shifting sand. They're going to grow. They're going to make us feel bad because that's where the world will go to church. Lost folks will come to church as long as you don't tell them they're lost. As long as you make them feel better about themselves, that's what church has become to so many people. I just want to feel better than I did when I went in. That's not the church. The church, yes, lifts up the weary. It lifts up the downhearted. It brings up the trodden. But it also brings down the haughty and breaks down the high. And it says we're all in this together. We're all in this equal. We are dead men brought to life by the breath of Christ. The Holy Spirit breathed into us and through the scriptures and the gospel we have been made alive. That's the truth of God's word. And until we stand on that and reject all this other foolishness, the critical race theories and the Black Lives Matter and all lives matter from beginning at conception until you die a natural death. Every life matters, not one more than the other. Not Billy Graham more than you and I. Not, not anybody. It is about life. The world will tell you, well, let's, just, let's go back to the 1960s. What happened in 63? We removed prayer from schools. What happened in 64? We removed scripture from schools. What happened by 1970? We removed the Ten Commandments from schools and our, began to take it out of places of uh, our, our halls of law, our courthouses, and uh, everywhere else. By 1974, we had brought an abortion in. You see the sliding scale? Here we are in 2023, and we don't even know what a boy or a girl is anymore. We cannot judge anymore by the fleshly standards set by a culture that does not know Christ as the Son of God. He's just another man. It's what the Jews believed. It's why they killed him. They said he's blaspheming. He's just a man claiming to be God. That's blasphemous. Folks, there is now no way that we can justify and defend a lifestyle of sin. We must stop making justification for sinful lifestyles. Believers never again should look upon Christ as just being a man. He is the immortal, infallible Lamb of God. He is perfect. He is our salvation. He is the author and finisher of our salvation, the one that sanctifies us, makes us righteous by his righteousness. He is our judge, our jury, our justification. When he is Lord, he is Savior, and he'll never be our Savior until he alone, by Christ alone, I love that song, by Christ alone, we are saved through the scriptures alone for the glory of God alone. It's not about us. It is about the glory of God and God's people now being reconciled to him. Let's go on. So what does the lost man 
who's about to be saved look like? He's still a lost man. Let's go to Acts chapter 9. If you want to turn over there, if not, it's only two verses I'm going to read to you. This is just prior to Paul on the road to Damascus. He's about to hit the road to Damascus here and, and hear those infamous words, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He's so close to that. But when you're lost, you're lost. Look where he's at right here in verse 1 of Acts chapter 9. Saul, still breathing threats. Why? Because Jesus was only a man to this Jewish Roman. This man, Saul, Christ is only a man. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Why? He had to get the high priest's permission to do what he was about to do. He asked for letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the capital way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That's what the lost man wants today. He wants to come into every church, find every person of the way, every true believer, and they would soon have a dead Messiah and a dead Christian side by side. They do not want believers out preaching an intolerant, exclusive gospel. And that's exactly what we have. Intolerant of what God has called sin and exclusive except for those he has called and has saved and those he will call and will save. The gospel does no one else any good. And they know it. They can't live their life of, of homosexuality. They can't marry whoever they want. I'm sorry, you don't get to identify as a cat because you want to be a cat. You, you can't go out and literally have your life your way and be in Christ. He makes us, what, and we'll read it in a minute, a new creation at salvation. So here's Saul living exactly like a lost man. And we know just in a few verses later, he's going to become a, a follower and a minister and a missionary to the point of being imprisoned and beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and finally lose his head gladly when he, when he would run to his death, knowing that to live is Christ. It's my sacrifice. It is my, my role, but to die is to gain. That is what it means to know that Christ was the Son of God. That's why that changes everything. But here's the problem. The world hates us. True believers, the world hates. And we, as human nature, hate being hated. I mean, I'm a nice guy. Why would you hate me? What have I ever done to you? Well, your religion tells me that I can't go to heaven. Well, you're obviously lost. You told me you were. We were talking. You said, I don't want anything to do with that Jesus stuff. So, yes, my response is then you're going to spend eternity in hell. Well, who are you to judge? 
I don't have to judge the book judges. Christ alone will be your judge, and he said those who fail to repent, who turn, won't turn their life over to me, will be cast eternally into the lake of fire. I'm just telling you what the book says. When you're hateful, no, I love you, brother. I love you. And I don't want you to spend eternity there. Well, I'm not going there. Yes, yes, you are. And the bad news is we're all condemned. The good news is some God has saved. Praise God. Matthew 15, 18, just to prove my point, Matthew's recording the words of Christ here. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. I'll take that company. If the world hates me because it hates Christ, I'll rejoice in that. All the way to prison, all the way to a, a, a stake to be burned if that's what's necessary. But I will not fail to confess the one who died for me as my Lord and Savior. And I will not change one word of his book because of that. And why am I preaching this to Christians? Because people in church are doing that. It's happening in even Southern Baptist churches. There are people who are saying, well, we've got to let them you know, figure out their own way. No. The First United Methodist Church now is in a split. There's a huge chunk of that denomination that wants to take fully on this pride thing and this idea of being woke. And, uh, there, and then there's another section that doesn't and won't believe that. I would have never in my day thought you'd see Methodist churches dividing over the issue of homosexuality. I thought there's one thing we, that all Christians agreed on. It's sin. You may struggle with it, but you must reject it like any other sin. I struggle with one of the Dallas Cowboys to win every game, and I've learned they're not going to. It's not a truth. You can't embrace sin because the world hates us, we must understand that to be hated by the world is a good thing. As a matter of fact, if, we're not, if it's not, if the world doesn't hate us, we really might ought to look at our walk and make sure it's different than everybody else's. If the world hates me, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Poor, are we not there? Are we not there? How in love with the, with the world is it with itself? It loves itself over everything and everybody else. Yet because he's talking to these believers in the book of Matthew, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, because Christ, has chosen us out of the world. The world hates you. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing for believers to be hated by the world. It's a bad thing for the world or for believers 
to cave in to worldly belief so that we won't be hated by the world. And by hated, I mean, well, well, I've never been under great persecution. I'm not talking about here in America you being put to death or in prison for your faith, but how about it cost you your job? How about a football coach in Florida that just wants to go out and pray before every game, doesn't require it from anyone, doesn't make a show out of it, just stands out there and prays, somebody complains and the school comes to him and says, he can't do that anymore, and you know what he said? I'll be at the 50-yard line praying. He got fired. He didn't care because his principles were not based on fleshly human standards. They were based on the principles and the standards of the rock that is our salvation. So, and this was uh, uh, something that was asked of me last night, and, and it's really one of my pet peeves. It said, what do I think about the term carnal Christianity? I think it's an oxymoron. I think those two things are completely opposite. But what I think doesn't matter. So let's go to the book and read what uh, Paul had to say about carnal Christianity. Romans chapter 8, verse 5, this idea that we can embrace the cultural standards is what we're talking about. We're talking about being carnal and trying to be Christian at the same time. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. That's where the church needs to be. For to be carnally minded is, you know what that next word sees there? Death. So if I'm carnally minded, I'm not saved. I'm going, that word death is not talking about graveyard death. It's talking about eternally, spiritually dead. I can't be saved and be carnally minded. I can commit carnal acts occasionally, but my mind has been changed. It has been transformed. It has been renewed. As a believer who's been regenerated by the blood of Christ, I can't live carnally minded. Again, carnal actions are totally possible, but I won't defend them. I'll fall under the conviction of them and say, Lord God, forgive me for I have sinned. And he says, I am faithful and just to forgive you. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and what? Peace. I can go to bed every night and go to sleep knowing that if this world hates me, I have done my job. Not because I've been mean about it, not because I've been bro uh, boastful about it, but because I have loved this world only enough to tell them the truth of Scripture, that to be carnally minded, friend, is death. Do we not, and I think today we don't understand what it's, and if you, you need to come back tonight and hear, we're going to talk about the wrath of God as it's being pounded down from heaven now withheld by the dam of grace, but there's going to come a day when all of God's wrath is going to be poured out on all the unbelievers. It's already been poured out on Christ for believers, but every sin will be
thankfully, I don't have to pay my own. That's where we're going with this thing. Christ has paid the penalty, and for me to be carnally minded is to look at his bloodied face and to grab that crown of thorns and just pull it a little bit tighter and say, I'm coming to heaven, but Lord, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to live for you. Some, here's what a carnally minded person would sound like. They'll call themselves a believer, but they'll use phrases like this all the time. Let me tell you this joke. The Lord's going to have to forgive me for this, but, but, but this is too funny for me not to tell. But the Lord's going to have to forgive me. The Lord doesn't have to do anything, and you're not going to laugh, skip, and jump your way into heaven. You're going to go into heaven having looked upon the face of grace and died under the mercy of God on his son on a cross. We're going to go into heaven thankful and grateful, not laughing our way at our, and making a mockery of the gospel by thinking that, that Christ is okay with my sin because I acknowledged it before I sinned. That's what Lord's going to have to forgive me if this is. That's saying I'm about to sin, so he's just going to have to forgive me. You think God smiled at that joke you just told? Do you think that the blood of Christ stopped dripping and went, oh, man, that is funny. I'm glad you told that. If you're acknowledging that it's sin before you do it, there's the problem. We are living carnally minded. We've got to be sure we're careful of that within the church. Let's go now back to our original text, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become what? New. We no longer see things according to the flesh. Now, as a regenerated person, as a born-again believer, Paul is telling the Corinthians, literally, for God's sake, look, all things are of God who has reconciled himself to us. No, he has not said, I'm going to reconcile myself to my creation. I am reconciling my creation to my standards. You're going to, be, you're going to meet my standard, and since you can't, then my son has done it for you. I'm going to impute all of your sin onto him and all of his righteousness onto you. I'm reconciling you to me through him something you could never do. And we want to live according to the flesh sometimes because sometimes sin is just too good to let go. And then he did something else. And now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, verse 19. That is, that God was 
in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. God no longer holds me accountable for my own sin. Christ paid my account. And y'all know what that means when, when Christ said, it is finished, right? That in, in the Old Testament, that was the way when you had a, a bill that you owed someone, and you, we write the words paid in full on there today. Well, in that day, there's a reason that Christ said it is finished. What was written on the bill when the charge was paid in full was what? It is finished. The people he was speaking to knew exactly what it meant when he hung on a cross and he said, it is finished. It had been paid in full. All of my sin imputed unto the one who knew no sin and all of his righteousness given to the one who knows no righteousness. He took my place. But more than that, we're going to read in, in verse 20. Now we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ to be reconciled to God. That's what the church is supposed to do today. We are now ambassadors for Christ. We are to go and beg men to listen to the gospel and look at your situation, look at your heart, is there any way God would let you into heaven? No, there is not. Not for mercy, except not for grace. None of us deserve heaven. We all deserve hell. But thank God for grace and mercy and the cross with his son on it. And then all he asks is that you live for me and you go out as ambassadors and you plead with the people around you. Know that you're lost. Don't tell me I'm lost. Okay, know that you're lost and that without Christ, you will enter only into the lake of fire. You, you can figure out what you're going to do with that, but give them the knowledge so when the Holy Spirit draws them, they have heard the gospel. How hard is it to present the gospel do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Oh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Lived a perfect, sinless life, gave his life on the cross, was raised three days later, ascended into heaven, was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses walking around alive after he was dead. That, that's, believe that and do what? This is a small little thing. Oh, yeah, confess him as Lord. You surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, not the ways of the world. Why are you addressing with the church? Because churches are falling to this deception today. Churches have always been susceptible to false teachings. You brought that to us this morning. It's nothing new. It's 2,000 years old. If it was preached, then it better be preached now because we're facing the same enemy. He is the deceiver, and he hasn't really changed his tactics at all. Why? 
because it's worked real well. It's worked very well. Verse 21, I am so thankful for it, but it breaks my heart to think of the depths of it. For he made him who knew no sin, not just to be my sin, not just your sins. He became the one thing that both he as the son of God and he as fully God. God hates sin. And what did Christ become? Sin. Not some sins, not most sins, not all sins. Sin itself. It's why God could no longer look upon his son when Christ prayed, if this cup can pass from me, it wasn't the crucifixion process. It was if the cup of becoming the sin of all the world, if that cup can pass from this any other way, Father, I am all about that right now. Is there anything I can do to stop be from becoming sin, the one thing I hate and that the Father hates. But your will be done. He came to do the will of the Father. He hated sin so much, the Father did, that he sent his only begotten Son so that whosoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. But how can they believe if they have not heard how can they hear if it is not preached? How can it be pre I'm quoting backward from Romans chapter 10 when it says that we must go out and preach the gospel so that it can be heard. Once it's heard, only then can it be believed. People must hear the gospel and a church that will water it down may as well be out with, with signs that say, come go to heaven and sing this song and you'll get there. It, it's not about anything but the gospel, folks. And until churches stop saying, it, and I don't mean that, well, yeah, it's going to kind of sting a little bit. Until we stop wondering how to get people into church and get the church into the people, we're not going to reach the people because the lost culture is not going to come worship a God they do not know, they do not love, they do not want anything to do with. Why would you come here if you're lost? Just to be told you're lost and that your way of life is not good enough to get you to heaven. Neither is mine. But Christ's way of life was enough to get me to heaven. And that's what I'm depending on. See, the world doesn't want to hear that because it takes the job away from them. They can't decide that Mohammed can be my God. Buddha can be my God. That tree out there can be my God. That's the Wiccan culture, by the way. We're going to worship all things uh, of the earth. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might, what? Become the righteousness of God in him. Somebody needs to say amen right there. Because if you've been saved by the, by the grace and mercy of God, again, I'm so thankful for that text, yet it breaks my heart to know that Christ had to do that. 
but it was the only way. Seems like Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes except through me. Not through Joseph Smith, not through Mohammed, not through Gandhi, not through Mother Teresa. There is no way to heaven. Not through Mary, not through a priest that you go confess your sins to. He becomes your high priest, and that priest is going to tell, tell you, say 13 Hail Marys, give 1295 to the local orphanage, and your sins are forgiven. You can't have Jesus plus. Jesus became our high priest. The Jews already had a high priest. Once Christ died on the cross, that system of, of living under the law was over. Yes, we still are bound to the law of God, the law of the gospel, the Ten Commandments. And what do we know? All the sin fallen short of the glory of God. I'm not better than anybody out there. I'm not saved any more than anybody else is saved. But we are different than the lost. We have been granted grace where grace was not due, but it was necessary. Mercy was not due, but it was necessary. Father God, forgive us for what we've turned this, what we as believers have allowed this world to turn into. By not screaming at the top of our lungs when prayer was being removed from school, when abortion became a law. Yes, we were screaming, but not loud enough. But now we're here. What happened then doesn't matter. This is where we are today. What do we do? Well, Christ has never brought, or God has never brought revival to a community that he skipped the local church. The church has, we're not the answer. We have the only answer. And God will not go out and reach lost people without the church. Why? Because the church is the only one that can preach the gospel. He will work in the hearts of men, but the church has got to preach the gospel. And we've got to do it in the most uncomfortable place. It's comfortable in here. You can bring them in, give them to me, and I'll preach to them all day long because you're at arm's length and I'm at arm's length. We're all happy. But what about when you're sitting on an airplane beside that person that just won't? Y'all have been there. That guy just won't shut up. He's telling you about his kids and his job and how bad his life is. And he's just going on. All you got to do is look at him and say, I'm a preacher. Oh, man, he don't want to talk another word. But now I'm ready to talk. You talk for an hour. I'm going to talk for an hour. I'm going to tell you about my Christ. And, oh, you're going to want to get out of that seat. And little Louis the flight attendant is going to come by and say, Please sit back down. I'm going to say, yeah, you tell him, Louie. Put him back in that seat. Folks, it's, I, I don't do that to make light of the text we just read. It is the understanding that once we see Christ as fully man and fully God, it changes everything. 
Everything is made new when a heart is regenerated by the blood of Christ preached from someone who understands and knows the gospel and helps me to understand what the word depravity really means and how I should wear that word uh, in disgrace, that I am a fully depraved, uh, rotten worm, as the song originally said, for such a worm as I, changed to sinners such as I. You know what we'd write there today? For such a mistake maker as me. We like to use the word mistakes and done a few things wrong. We're sinners saved by grace from what? An angry, wrathful, jealous, vengeful God who will exact punishment of fire in eternity for all time for all those who never believe, for those whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And we think we're doing good when we just say, well, God bless him. He just don't know. Tell him if you don't know. It's what the church does. Folks, I, uh, it always sounds trite for a preacher to say to people who doesn't know, I love you, but I know you because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. I love you, and I want you to go out and reach people for Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. And when I say reach, I don't mean lead them to him. You can't do that. You can share the truth with him. And if he gets saved, it's because Christ found him. The song said, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I didn't find, if anybody tells you, I found Jesus. He wasn't hiding. And he wasn't lost. You were lost. You were blind. He could not see. What did the book say? He called us out. Praise God. And there are others he will call out, but they must hear about him. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer, and I believe our musicians are going to come back, and I'm going to turn the service back over to our men. And, uh, uh, again, this will be an invitation. You've got offers altars up here and if you would like to come and and share with any of these men or with me I'll be up here down front but these altars are open as we stand and our musicians come brother if you'll come I'm going to turn the service back over to you Sing page number 104. We'll sing Amazing Grace.